and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today, we're chatting to Emily Phillips, author of the hilarious novel Trying, about using humour to broach sad topics, modern takes on conventional prose, and how to juggle a high-powered career whilst writing a novel. Try some porn? I say lightly into my husband's exasperated face. The flaccid loll of his penis on my thigh suggests the need for subtle diplomacy along with some brute stimulation. I've told you a million times, Liv, he says, rolling his eyes, tugging, and then dropping the unresponsive one back to a safe space on my leg and performing a cursory sweep across the peaks and troughs of my hips and waist. I don't need porn, I've got you. Three minutes in and already Felix is agitated with my sexy suggestion. I'll switch the lights on then, maybe it'll... I bat his hand off my prickly thigh and up to a handful of boob. Safely seductive, no perceivable hairs, leaving the old boy to develop at his own pace. Felix drops his palm down for a grab of underbum, and I immediately hate myself for cancelling that wax last week in favour of a two-hour row with my mum about us not moving to Walthamstow. No level of perfect darkness will protect him from detecting the full coverage of fur. Maybe how little effort I've made is a turn-on. I'm so elaborately sexual, I just don't need to give a shit except that I do give a shit. I'm just substituting any leg-shaving energy I have for this attempt to make a baby. I go in to see how he's getting on down there. I'm swatted away. It's not ready yet, just wait, he says. I'm not doing much to help matters, but I won't blame myself. We're kissing now like a pair of 14-year-old washing machines while I impress my bottom into his hands in the way I imagine a Kardashian might. Contrived and slow, seductive and at just the right angle to keep him away from that patch that's even hairier than everywhere else. No airbrushing here. I just need to join him in that mood I've cultivated so beautifully. I spin the wheel for myself. Tom Hardy naked. Cold. Shriveled. Move on. Donald Glover. Serenading me topless. Warmer. Oiled up. Justin Trudeau. Negotiating environmental sanctions. Polar ice caps are melting. The Game of Thrones cast are brawling. Violently hot. Beards. Tongues. Even moustaches. Hair's clearly on my mind, but I'm losing momentum. Got to keep that tongue going. Must stimulate my husband, the quite stoppable wavy-making machine. I go in for another grope below stairs. We're getting somewhere. I'm ready, he shouts, as if I'm not face-to-face beside him on the one mangled pillow. And I can feel he's at least partially. But as he throws me on my back with cage fighter agility, this is an exciting thought for me, setting to work like a man possessed, or at very least a man in a rush. There's no real need for me to do anything other than show up and lie back now. The internet tells me cervical mucus helps predict your fertile days. And it also eases the flow when you'd rather be watching paint dry on grand designs than being dry humped by the love of your life. Even though he's a very attractive man and performing all the relevant manoeuvres. Having sex with Felix used to be my ultimate pastime. We'd throw each other around the bedroom, up against wardrobes, clinging onto headboards, breaking slats, striking ambitious poses in front of mirrors and windows. We'd want to look at each other's crevices. But as it's nearly midnight on a working Thursday, where I've eaten avocado on toast at breakfast meeting, pad thai from the truck on Leather Lane at lunch, then fish and chips for dinner, plus an, an entire airport Toblerone to finish me off, this is our 18th month of lucky day 13 shagging, I'd rather throw up than us watch our missionary efforts back reflected at us. Because after a year and a half of shall we, must I muster it, and quick the ovulation sticks flashing, we're both secretly glad when it's over quickly. 
Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on the Riff Raff Podcast. Hi. Um, so for those of our listeners who haven't read your book, Trying Yet, could you give us a little flavour of what it's about? So my elevator pitch was it's about trying for a baby and failing, which doesn't sound like a very funny uh, topic to go into, but it is a comedy. And it's about a girl who's basically trying to sort of keep her end up in life and also try and produce a baby. And it's just failing miserably everything. <laughs> um, cue many falling over moments and things like that. <laughs> so can you um, tell us a little bit about your journey to publication? So <laughs> this is probably not how a lot of books start, but um, it initially started as a conversation in a pub with a publisher. Um, I was lucky enough to know quite a few publishing people through my work as features director at Grazia, but um, I've become like really good friends with a couple of them, and they were publicists, but they now work as editors, and so we were just sort of like out, getting drunk, and I said, through my drunken slurring, <laughs> um, do you know what would be really funny is a book about trying and failing to have a baby, and they were like, oh my god, like no one's written that book before. And then the next morning, I think we'd all kind of like wiped it from our brains. But then one of them through the hangover was like, uh, could you send me a synopsis of that? And then it sort Amazing. of spiralled from there. And yeah, it kind of, yeah, just started as a synopsis, like a one line and then kind of became a page, became like four pages, became a chapter, became four chapters and then became a book deal. Amazing. Amazing. But you're so right. There's, there isn't anything like that that I've ever come across because it's kind of it's such a taboo still isn't it yeah I think actually Ben Elton wrote a book about it weirdly <laughs> um, I think it's called like Inconceivable oh, or yeah, something I've read it. I thought the and it became the, the film Maybe Baby which is something I recognised from when I was a teenager or whatever um, and I had obviously having only watched the movie when I was a teenager had never registered it in my brain because obviously I wasn't trying for baby then and didn't care about that stuff but um in recent times yeah no one's written about it and also it's quite weird that a man wrote that book and not a woman because it is your body that goes through all the shit and you know it it is a torturous time but also blackly funny yeah (laughs) and it it is we should should point out from the start that it is really funny but we'll come on to that very much Um, you you have written um openly uh pieces about um your own struggle to conceive yeah um and we were wondering what prompted you to turn trying into a fictional novel rather than writing it as a straight memoir? I sort of feel like I don't really like being the centre of attention. So memoir sort of writing was never a thing for me. I kind of never really wanted to be a columnist or anything like that. Um, And I actually was writing a different book before I pitched that in the pub. And it was like a sort of ridiculous YA fantasy about a statue that comes to life and stuff. Oh my god, like mannequin. <laughs> yes, like mannequin, mannequin but sort of medieval. Oh, um, I like it. <laughs> and she travels through time and it's amazing. But I never actually got that far with it and didn't have a deadline and was just sort of messing about on the side of work. Um, and I think just the idea of having someone interested in the idea spurred me on to write it. Um, And I just felt like I could give life to the characters more if it wasn't just me in it. And that's not to say I didn't draw on, you know, stuff that I'd gone through. But 
my husband would like the disclaimer it's definitely not our sex life there's 20 I think like 24 awkward sex scenes in this book so it was just me kind of like going to people what's the most awkward sex you've ever had and then kind of like making it up so yeah are your friends liking seeing that in the book (laughs) I think that most of them are reading it thinking that it's me having the sex in every single scene which is really frightful for them (laughs) (laughs) my husband's friend was reading the first page and he was like, there's a lot of flaccid penis here. <laughs> it's got a very strong first line, hasn't it, as well? A lot of flaccid penis. Yeah. Well, 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 the first line, maybe we should try some porn. I quite like that. That was quite a good start. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a good kind of assertion in general, just a kind of yeah. icebreaker yeah. situation. Really. And I'm pretty sure they don't ever actually watch any porn throughout the... I mean, I think she does, but I don't think they ever do it together in the end, which is a shame, but, you know. It's a whole new book, yeah. I think, yeah. in that. Um, so, Pawning. Yeah, pawn- <laughs> oh my god, the follow-up. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> um, so this book has had Rosie and I both chuckling away on public transport a lot. Um, it's so nice to read something funny. Mm. I, I, I love it. Thank you. Um, so how did you approach making pretty much every single line as funny as it is? You know, do you, would you say it's how you talk, or like, is it? You know, did you do you think there's kind of any tricks to yeah, writing funny? I do think that it is reflective of my tone in general life so I think at some points people said to me as if you'd say that in conversation it's like if you don't listen to the way that me and my friends maybe talk to each other maybe it's heightened because we work at a magazine and we are a bit ridiculous <laughs> but that's the kind of way we speak to each other um, and then in terms of getting it to be funny I mean there were so many points where I was just not feeling funny at all yeah. I wrote the book in six months which is a really short turnaround for 100,000 words on the side of a full-time job yeah. so there was a lot of nights where I would come in and do my 500 words I needed to do and I would just have to look back at them and be like oh god that was dry <laughs> um, so I think I just had to kind of take my moments where I was feeling particularly like revved up or like in a decent mood where I would be like, ah, quick, write 2,000 <laughs> words of like whatever I think is funny and then go back and tidy the other stuff back up afterwards. Did you have any kind of, um, some of our authors have said that they have kind of like a ritual to get into kind of the frame of mind of like their characters and Ooh. stuff and like, you know, that's I, I quite like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, did you have anything like that? Or? Yeah, I mean, certain, there's like certain little sort of ste- scene stealery people like the acupuncturist character who's like really ridiculous and sort of speaks in all oohs and stuff <laughs> um, and I think I kind of spent a couple of days just talking to myself like that to try and like get myself <laughs> in the groove and um, kind of imagining him and but I think you know Olivia she is a girl like us like it's not it's not that hard to kind of imagining the pitfalls of being a girl in your 30s going through all of those things like trying to get a kind of a better job or trying to kind of get what your friends have got like yeah. being really competitive and yeah. also a bit of an asshole a lot of the time and actually there's something really funny in being a bitch so that was quite easy <laughs> in a way but it's nice to write female characters that are fleshed out in that way yeah. who aren't either some really saccharine or kind of like like a like a bitch from like some sort of like a movie yeah. like a really kind of stereotypical bitchy mean girls mm. kind of bitch who's kind of you know a woman who's sort of both it's yeah like, it's like you, you know, obviously you reference catastrophe in there yeah and like and i reckon that kind of like that sort of you know what she's like she what sharon hawkins like in catastrophe like just says some stuff that you're just like there's elements of yeah. that in this like yeah. i love the visual the visual of her back whacking that um 
the pinata the pinata line that, that cracked me up I was just like that was such a good visual scene well it was just it, it was just nice to be able to like maybe take out some of the anger and the frustrations that maybe I feel in day to day life that I can't actually vocalise yeah or the things that you'd like to real. do the yeah the things like that I would say, like to yeah. do the actions that I would like to perform but actually I'm too kind of buttoned up and <laughs> nice and sweet to be like you're like a bitch I suppose that's quite a good thing about fictionalizing it as well mm. is that like even that, so you can use kind of your experience as kind of the guidance but then you can have the fun with like the sort of bits that like you know like use the imagination to kind of think about yeah the fictionalize it it's yeah kind of, fun. of course yeah and there were loads of instances i mean all of the mad stuff like he's a really sexy guy don't know anyone like him <laughs> maybe my husband let's just pretend that that's the case um <laughs> but you know it it was quite nice to kind of get wrapped up in that and yeah. it, make those things like you say the the worst things that could happen or the most intense things that could happen because because it obviously is quite it's poignant subject matter Mm. that you're talking about and will really resonate on quite an emotional level Mm. with a lot of readers Mm -hmm. how did you kind of blur it between keeping that you know being true to the subject matter but making it funny and making it relatable and making it light-hearted in other places i think i kind of I, i did this kind of carry from homeland style um wall of notes I'm with you um, I love it that's intense did you have jazz on as well there was was no jazz there was no jazz Um, but I actually was reading a screenwriting book as I was writing the book actually no I wrote the book and then I restructured the book afterwards using this screenwriting guide and then made the wall so in order to um Oh, it was a guide to writing the rom-com by Sid Field I think Um, and oh no Sid Field wrote the other one I'll find you the name find of us, it. Yeah, um, but it was really, really good, and but it kind of made me realise that the ebb and flow was slightly off, and so it allowed me to balance it a lot better. And so I kind of moved some of the um, scenes around so that it just worked out a bit more, so you did get a bit of light and shade constantly. Um, learned that from uh, the Iliad when I was at school in classics that you always have to have a kind of fight scene and then have an emotional scene and then have a fight scene so you kind of need that balance and yeah I think because you have that that poignant emotion running through you don't want to just drag people down constantly because otherwise it would have been just a misery memoir like you said and it was yeah I wanted it to be a comedy so I was constantly like right okay how can I pick this up again now yeah well it's really worked it's, it's, it reads it's very balanced hopefully yeah it is it's, it's, well it's that's so what life is like you know you've, you're gonna laugh so you don't cry but at the exactly. same time yeah. you know there and are definitely gonna be tears in there yeah and you find like the humor you have to find the humor mm. in the the bad times otherwise yeah. you know like yeah what would you do like that's yeah, yeah. and that's kind of where you know comedy comes from isn't it yeah. it kind of starts with a bit of a tragedy and then it's it's the making fun of that that mm. actually makes it funny yeah. mm. and it's also kind of like the or i quite like awkward comedy yeah you know, like sort of like the comedy that kind of is like oh that's so that's so painfully physically to like yeah you have to kind of laugh at it like, yeah so that's where British comedy I think is really, yeah. really good. I think that's where a lot of the sex in the book comes from anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Painfully. Very awkward. British How sex. did you find writing the sex scenes? Like, I know oh. obviously you said you, you sort of like mind your mates, but like yeah. it's just... Yeah, I didn't... Initially I didn't mind my mates. I just kind of tried to make them as universal as possible because I, I knew from talking to people initially that like all of trying for baby sex is the same. Like it's not like it's identifiable to me and my husband like everybody who's trying for baby has regimented boring let's get it done sex so I didn't feel kind of like I was raiding my own 
sort of dirty laundry to do that. Um, I did at points feel like I was writing Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> it's way better. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds Fifty really Shades. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Beige, I would yeah. say. Um, so yeah, it was. I think I didn't have as many sex scenes in the initial draft, and then my publisher came back and was like, "Oh, I think in order to kind of really signpost your way through the book, you need more sex scenes per month." per cycle so I just went back to the drawing board and then that's when I kind of got my friends on board and was like come on awkward yeah. <laughs> make them really really bad yeah. <laughs> and so you say that you were reading this book about um screenplays and rom-coms mm. and stuff is it do you think that that's kind of, were you thinking kind of in would you like it to be a film obviously obviously every writer wants yes. it but yeah not gonna lie guys <laughs> that is like a dream of mine weirdly I think I'd always wanted to be a novelist when I was little but as I kind of got older I always wanted to be a screenwriter so I don't I mean I didn't write it like you'd write a screenplay but I definitely wrote it visualizing people playing the roles yeah yeah um so yeah, I don't. Know. And there's so many. It's good... hard not to cast people in my head. Who would play you? <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> okay, it's who would play me. Olivia? Olivia. Yeah. Um, I find it really hard to um, cast English actresses because it's like it's quite a specific thing, and I think you get into the sort of Bridget Jones trap. Um, I met. Hayley Atwell the other day she's lovely way too posh and too gorgeous but like she's kind of curvy and the right age and you know funny and down to earth and stuff (laughs) definitely tapped her up Um, figuratively (laughs) I sort of always love the idea of Anne Hathaway but yeah, I can see that um, I know it. it's not about you I know yeah, it's not about yeah. you it's because you look a bit like Anne Hathaway <laughs> I think that's maybe what it is but yeah thanks <laughs> I, I think when you read the book as well there's so many like the reason I asked the question about the film is it like the kind of it's because there's so many scenes in it that are so visual mm. like you know like you can like the humour comes from imagining see like I know that obviously a lot of like you know some books are so more lyrical and it's the mm. rhythm that's really enjoyable mm. but this kind of in my head the scenes that I'm seeing mm. you know, with the piñata oh, with how she meets Felix and mm-hmm. like you know things like that I think I think they translate really well I think they'd be nice. hilarious so talking of which nice thanks for that segue it's <laughs> very useful um, because it's not um, in addition to kind of the conventional prose which is obviously mm-hmm. in there there's emails there's text messages there's instagram messages there's even i think like an online shopping list at one point yeah yeah um which kind of really kind of bring it a straight up to date mm-hmm. um, and make it a really interesting read and really sharp and punchy was that right. something that you really wanted that it was really important for you to include and because it's it is something we've definitely noticed we're sort of seeing more and more of that use of kind of text messages and stuff and so just kind of you know what was your interest in in using those kind of formats yeah I think when I initially pitched the book I was a bit like oh it could be a sort of like modern Bridget Jones in the sense that it's not a diary but it's got those elements of diaristic kind of content coming through with the messages and stuff and I just sort of feel like you can't fully convey this kind of um, day-to-day rigmarole without having elements coming in through messages in a way Um, and it just it was a good way of using a first person for the book but then also allowing some of the other voices to come through in parts like Orla to give her a bit more of a platform Felix even Mads at points and in a way that you probably wouldn't get so much of if it had just been in Olivia's sort of point of view 
Um, so the only problem with it was that I then went went ahead and laid it all out when I was doing it. So I was doing all the speech bubbles. Oh, wow. and it was all the formatting was so wrong. wrong. <laughs> it was so wonky. They were sending it out like to you know other territories and stuff, and it was just like, oh, it doesn't display very well on a PDF. And I'm like, mm, sorry. <laughs> so they've actually Can had a designer do it. Yeah, <laughs> share my one. I'm a words person, not a design person. <laughs> That's true, you can use that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have been better drawing it by hand. <laughs> but it does work really well. It really punctuates, you know, the kind of, you know, the conversations and stuff. But it is it is hard to write, like, a, a novel now that's set in, you know, contemporary society mm. and not have things like text messages. Yeah. It can yeah, seem really all... odd mm. to not communicate that way. It's what, like, all your characters ring each other, you yeah. know? It, makes, like, it make, does make a massive difference. Like, cause, well, that's how we all communicate anyway, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, like, it's, it does make a difference to, like how they kind of speak to each other, like how Felix speaks to her is so lovely and like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it is like a different, like you say, like it gives them a different platform to kind of develop yeah. their characters and that's, yeah, it's such a subtle way of doing it because it just feels so natural. Yeah. Because what we're used yeah. to. Yeah, so. it just, it did feel just natural to yeah. me. Mm. So that was something that you did, you did from the start. Yeah, but initially, like I said, the book was more diaristic, so it was much more broken down into more, you know, into moments, um, so, but then it kind of got a bit unwieldy, so it became more or flowing prose around the messages and yeah. I prefer the way it came out. <laughs> yeah. So um, so you're clearly a comedy comedy fan. We've spoken about Catastrophe and you mm-hmm. and I were speaking about Flight of the Concords earlier. Yes. Um, so was there any kind of... And I know you've met Amy Poehler. Poehler. Yeah. yeah. I, I did not know I, that. I'm a huge... Obsessed. Uh, yeah, I love Parks and Recreation. Yeah. I've watched it a billion times and yeah. she is like my god. Yeah. Was she a hero? She is so, so lovely. Oh. She's just really, really sweet and she's such a, a champion of women as yeah. well, which is just so nice because quite often you'll meet actors and actresses and they just don't care. Yeah. Um, they don't really feel like normal people, but she just totally seems like someone you'd be friends with. Oh my God, I'm so glad um, you said that. <laughs> I actually, I think I hadn't watched that much Parks and Rec when I first met her. First met her. I met her the one time. Um, obviously, there will be many times after this. Um, and so I kind of wasn't like fully like bowing down like I should have been. Oh God, I think I now I, I've yeah, watched all of it and I'm like, oh my God, oh my I love her so much. If I could have Leslie Nope as my yeah. best friend, I would, yeah. yeah. All my other friends could fuck off, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really aggressive. She'd Sorry, be a great campaign manager for yes, a book, wouldn't she? Yeah, oh my God, just just a good camp, just a good person to have in your life, that yeah. positivity. Yeah. Um, but um, um, that was by the by. Do you have any... <laughs> Do you, um, was there any sort of particular comedy that you watched or read to kind of like give you inspiration for this or to kind of get you in the swing of things? We kind of touched on that, but... Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't... Doing that much reading, I try because it was Some such an intense. It was such an intense period. I just really couldn't do anything else other than kind of eat, sleep, go to work, and do the book. So I didn't have a social life. Didn't do much reading. Actually, I did. I tried to pick up the odd thing. Um, I read a really good book by Kelly Oxford, who's this American writer, um, and she's actually a memoirist. And it's her second book, and I can't remember the name of it now. But um, we will find it. Sh- yes, we will provide the good. link for it. Don't worry. Um, but she is very, very funny at talking about just real life shit that goes down, and um, I loved that. So between the first and second drafts, that was a really good kind of pick me up because the yeah the the tone of the book probably changed the most between the first and second drafts because I really hit it hard and rewrote a lot when I went back to the second so it was probably not that funny in the first place so did you, have, did you, you said you had six months to write it was yeah. that the, six months to write the first draft of the whole book or six m- months to do the whole thing no um so I started talking about it in 
August last year and then I was doing this really crazy intense projects job at work and had to build a shop in three days on Carnaby Street which was ridiculous (laughs) and then I said to myself right okay as soon as this is over like whilst crying and tearing my hairs out and just you know like lying on the floor being like I can't do this anymore I was like I'm gonna start my book the next day so I then started the book the next day which was the last week of September and I wrote through then till what was it October November December January March through to the end of March but I actually took December off because okay. I went to California nice. for a road trip um so I I took my laptop and did one little scene in a cafe in LA just to make myself feel like I'd done something whilst I was there and then um that was actually when my book deal came through and then came back and was like oh my god I've got a book deal now oh they've given me a deadline and it's really soon so yeah from Jan to March I was just like a demon um and then it went back to them for a month pretty much and then it came back to me for the second for the edit um and then went back to them and then it did come back again so I kind of had two edits okay. and they weren't that long they probably yeah. like a month or so okay yeah yeah cool. because um as you've mentioned you are feature director for I don't know if you've heard of it quite a small magazine <laughs> really. it's yeah I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it's basically it. a pamphlet yeah it basically is um but I mean you know I think you're kind of it sounds to me like you're downplaying it a bit like to do that job and then to go home and be writing you know what 500 words every night did you say yeah um I mean, I'm in awe. I mean, how did yeah, you? How, what were the? <laughs> how, did you kind of stop socialising? Did you turn your phone off? Did you tell everyone, right, I'm writing, that's it? And you know, what tips would you give for someone who who has a really busy day job mm. and is desperate to write in their free time? Yeah, I don't have any friends left. <laughs> what um, be your friends? And Amy <laughs> Polar sounds like she yeah, might she's be definitely a good, my mate. good contact. Um, what did I do? Yeah, I just basically said to everybody, "Really sorry, guys. I'm going to be like really super quiet now." Um, I didn't write anything at work. Like it was, it was a real surprise to me because when I was writing the previous book that I'd been working on, like I would write on my commute, and I was writing a bit on my commute, but I was thinking I'd be writing at lunch times and stuff like that, and like maybe sneaking in an hour at the end of the day if I was having a quiet day. But I just literally didn't do anything at my work desk because I had to kind of keep them in separate mindsets. So I think that building that barrier between me switching off of work brain when I got home so I wouldn't check my work emails or anything like that I set up a kind of study in my spare room so it became a kind of like haven for just that um and then yeah I just basically cried off all social engagements which was great because actually everybody was having babies at that point and probably didn't want to hang out <laughs> anyway I'm joking <laughs> love you guys <laughs> But your social life does change when everybody has a baby. Yeah, you know, like definitely. I'm, I'm about to be, I'm about to be 35, and it's so noticeable. You know, I was thinking to myself, God, I've really like withdrawn from social activity. But actually, it's not me; it's everybody else because everybody else has settled down and nesting, and because it hasn't happened yet, that I'm. I've been at a loose end. It's, but it's, this is not its not the way to fill a loose end, guys. <laughs> just it, like, so you know. You've filled it well with like a, an absolutely awesome job and a book and like, that's like massive respect. It's incredible. <laughs> My face is telling the tale. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Amy were having this discussion the other day that yep. like all of my friends... God bless them, have just exploded with yeah, children. Yeah. And Amy's kind of got... They're like dominoes. You know, yeah, yes, exactly. Well, I think they all planned it. 
I yeah. think they kind of planned it to have them around oh, the same time. Good and, luck to them. Well, exactly. And they are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I've had to really be up on, on my baby chat. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> You've also got to be up on your baby showers. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, that's a... Loads of like fun games, eating chocolate out of nappies and stuff like that. Yeah, I put I put a ban on the chocolate out of the nappies. (laughs) Anyone, I was like, we're going to have some prosecco. It's going to be very civilized. I like it for the chocolate though. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, there's always good cakes. I mean, you can eat chocolate out of other things other than nappies. You're right. So we had a sweet (laughs) bar at my French Vaughan's. We had a sweet Mm, bar. That sounds good. It was pretty good. Tasty. So if you do need any baby showers planning, anybody, I am available. It's a new business. (laughs) So just, how do you think your experience as a journalist has helped with this like, I mean obviously deadlines are probably something mm. that you're really used to but is there any kind of other other ways you think it's helped yeah I mean I think when I was pitching the book kind of you know going through the motions of trying to sort the book deal out I was like you know obviously I am used to meeting crazy deadlines week on week I didn't really anticipate how tired it would make me because it's very draining to do turn a weekly magazine out every week yeah. and then also try and like write a chapter a week or whatever but um yeah deadline meeting is definitely something and also I think not being like super attached to my copy maybe I you know I'm not a monthly journalist I'm a weekly journalist and so I think maybe I'm just a bit more laissez-faire about the whole thing um so if people want to tinker or you know say it's not working then I'm happy to sort of go and change stuff um also there's some there's some chapters in the book that are kind of interview chapters um and they are actual people their interviews are sort of fictionalized so I think that that kind of helped me delve into a side of um parenthood or you know kind of trying for a baby that I hadn't seen from you know other perspectives and that kind of interviewing that out of people helped me do that research so that was good you've raised such an interesting point there that actually I don't think we've really touched upon in the Riff Raff podcast so far about um, writers being able to separate themselves mm. when it comes to the editing process mm. and you know some writers you know have spent years mm. crafting this text into the best possible and then to come have someone come along I remember when my book was um, it went to the um, the copy edit it was yeah. kind of after my, my editor the sort of line editor yeah. and so she was like doesn't make sense this is wrong <laughs> do you even know what punctuation is and I was like oh god <laughs> this is brutal <laughs> but you know but it is quite it's quite a big process isn't it that people will come along and actually change your text how did you know you said that you weren't attached to that were there any bits that you fought for or anything that you were just like yep fine no worries you know best kind of thing yeah it's super exposing like I think actually I wasn't so worried about the edits because I kind of trusted the editor and the the, uh, copy editor who I've never met before (laughs) obviously I had to trust her Um, but it was more the idea that my peers other journalists were going to read it I was just like super freaked out that they were going to see the work and actually they're super there's loads of typos in the in the proof, which is <laughs> yeah, but that's really that's exactly. I know it's guys. I'm really embarrassed by that though. Um, so yeah, there's parts of that where I'm like, I can't believe we didn't manage to get it without typos in it. But anyway, um, but in terms of letting it go, I think it was more like little comedic touches where it was kind of like that. Yeah, like you say, that doesn't make sense or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I do sort of want to keep it because actually, like the language makes it funnier. And like if you take it out, then it flattens it down. Um, I mean, it, maybe it's just gobbledygook, but who knows? I, I watched the Mighty Boosh; they get away with it. <laughs> and I think it, I, like I think comedy. comedy is one of those things that 
you know, your book won't be for everyone because no one's book is for everyone. Yeah. But for the people that get it, mm. they will find those little asides, those mm. little moments. Those are, those are the bits they're going to find hilarious. Fingers so it's crossed. important that those yeah. sorts of things stay yeah. in. I really fought for those in mine. Because like, yeah. I, really, I had some like turn of phrases that would just, mm. they'd just be like, that's absolutely, that just makes no human sense. Well, like, mm. It didn't make sense. It's just a little bit out there. And I was mm. like, yeah, but it's something that I would actually say. Yeah. So... This is why it makes sense. This is why you should keep it. Yeah. And like they were shoot and my editor was like, to be fair to her, she was great. Was like, you know, um, she was like, we'll leave it in, and if they say that it doesn't make any sense, then we have to take it out. And I was like, fine. And they all got through, and I was like, yes, yeah, yeah. do it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> there was only one really aggravating change that it wasn't aggravating. It was just annoying at the time. Was um, they were like, there was a a sort of flight scene that was kind of like she'd messed up the booking and then they had this really long coach ride to this far-flung airport that was nowhere near where they were going on the mini break and they were like this this is not feasible like we've just checked it on Skyscanner and that flight just wouldn't go to there and you wouldn't be able to get that bus from there and so I was just like oh, oh, okay and then they were like you need to change it in the next 20 minutes so I was like oh Okay. Oh, so I wrote a new scene in Copenhagen. The bit where they go to the Museum of Broken Relationships is a completely like made up scene on the spot. Oh I wrote gosh. it. That's the only bit of the whole book that I wrote on my desk at work because I was just like, ah, I've got twenty minutes. I've got twenty, 20 minutes. minutes. So I just was like, um, ah, ah, ah. Oh my so gosh. yeah, that was that was the only change that I was flabbergasted by. That place <laughs> is amazing though. The hotel. Haven't the, been there. The, I am um, <laughs> it from Google Maps. Guy, I interviewed the guy who founded it. Yeah. And it's such an interesting yeah, part. I, I, and I, it's I've such been, an interesting place. Have you been yeah. to one? I've been to one in Zagreb. Yeah. So I think they've got them, but that's like yeah, yeah that's just... yeah, that was the original one. But yeah, I'd that's actually cool. been past it in LA and then realised that there was one in Copenhagen. Where well, I have been to Copenhagen, but I just hadn't been yeah. to the museum and was like, oh, they need to go somewhere that's gonna give me some comedy. And I was like, what can I do? Okay, this will be like poignant and also annoying. But um, weirdly, they've got a book coming out, Museum of oh, Broken cool. Relationships. And when that crossed my desk, I was like, we have to do a feature on it because I was sort of so thankful to that museum to yeah, just give yeah. me that little bit of license I would read that feature it's such an interesting place yeah, yeah and I'd read the book actually it does it like some of it's really funny some of it's yeah, really sad like it's really yeah. like, it's, it's like I like reading about the human experience yeah, yeah. that's it um, but so and um, do uh, obviously it sounds like you're maybe taking a bit of a break now but like are, are you planning on writing another book in the future or? yeah I mean yeah. I woke up from I think filing my second draft which felt like the kind of fullest end point that I'd reached um before I kind of got the line edits from the copy editor and woke up in a kind of fever dream the next morning you know when you're supposed to feel like a high or something from filing a book but you don't you just feel like a complete anticlimax but I had like a weird nightmare that night woke up and was like I know what my next book is so I kind of like got up and like started sending myself weird emails so I've got like this kind of like list of emails that are the structure for a new book and it's about um a group of girls that um hack tinder to try and swing an election which was Ooh. something that did happen in the news but it's not about them it's like a sort of construct okay cool. oh, i like that, that idea great i'm totally you got a really really soon deadline or no i haven't got any deadline at all which is the reason i haven't really written any of it but um yeah i just wanted it to be sort of completely different and about women and just kind of basically it's going to be pretty much free of men, I think. Okay. Oh, I can't Excellent. wait to read it. It sounds yeah. fantastic. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Right up our street. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming in. The book is fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, You're very sweet. Thank you very much. 
And Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. The Riff Raff podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com.